episode 370. How do some health systems manage to charge 6x the cost of a specialty pharmacy med to infuse it? Today, I speak with Eric Davis and Autumn Youngchu. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I have been on a mission to figure out why some health systems, particularly in the oncology space, but not limited to the oncology space, could manage to mark up the price of infused specialty pharmacy drugs up to 6x. Some employers and patients are paying 6 times the cost of a specialty pharmacy drug in markup for some already incredibly expensive specialty pharmacy drug at some oncology centers. Link in the show notes to a study by Roy Zhao, MD, and colleagues. Let's not forget now or ever that financial toxicity is clinical toxicity. The 6X is exactly how financial toxicity is operationalized. Many patients are charged a co-insurance percentage based on their cost of care, after all. And like 20% of 6X is a huge number. It is a huge bankrupting bill for some patients, maybe many patients. That plus their premiums go up because, of course, their employers are picking up the remaining 80% of that 600% markup. I mean, families are already on average, I think it's like $22,000 in premium. And the trend line on that premium growth continues to go up steeply in the 2022-23 projections that I have seen. Bottom line, this 6X is not a victimless modus operandi, is my point. But what I wanted to know is how they do it, these health systems. Charging 6X the cost of a super expensive specialty pharmacy drug in markup would seem to require some skill, right? And anytime I see a Pandora's box, I have a terrible habit of trying to get in there. Autumn Youngchu and Eric Davis to the rescue. Today's show digs into how some health systems and hospitals stack the odds that no one will notice their 6X markups and just pay the bills. Here's the short version of the playbook, but you'll need to listen to the show today for a more robust explanation. First off, keep in mind that while Med B, Medicare Part B, tells hospitals to charge ASP, average sale price, plus 6%-ish, when they buy and bill Medicare patients, there is no such guidance for commercial patients. Commercial insurers negotiate a fee off charge master rates. And as we all know, those charge master prices are in general based on absolutely nothing and are in general sky high. So that's the first thing. The second thing gets into coding. Let me give you the general idea here, but we talk about this in some depth in the conversation to come. As you likely know, hospitals get paid by sending bills with codes on them. Procedure codes, for example. We, the hospital, did this procedure and our charge for this procedure is $4,000. So here you go. Code followed by dollar amount is shown on somebody's bill or explanation of benefits document. These procedure codes are standardized across the industry for the most part. It's not like every health system and or payer is making up their own. This standardized set of procedure codes is called the Healthcare Common Procedure Coding System, affectionately known as HICPICS. So if someone starts talking about a HICPICS code, all it means is that the code comes out of that standard set of codes. Now, J codes, 
are one kind of code in this common procedure coding system. They are procedure codes that start with a J. These J codes are for procedures involving usually specialty pharmacy drugs. A J code identifies the specialty pharmacy drug that was used in the procedure. So you'd think it'd be pretty easy to audit a hospital bill, right? You look at the J code on the bill, you find the ASP, the average sale price or whatever of the drug, and then you get out your trusty calculator and you do the math on what the markup is. And okay, maybe this works sometimes. But the problem is that so very, very often, the hospital doesn't put the actual drug's J code on the bill. There's this MISC J code, miscellaneous J code, that doesn't specify the drug used, which is a quite common tactic, it seems. I learned that today. Hospital just sticks miscellaneous chemotherapy on a bill with a price after it and nobody knows what drug was used. Or the hospital will send a bill that just includes revenue codes. I think about revenue codes as like the name of the section of the bill. It's like on a menu, there's that section, that headline that says seafood with a whole list of seafood dishes underneath it. In this example, the seafood header is like the revenue code and the J codes are the actual dishes. Some bills come from the hospital and all they have on them are the revenue code. There was some seafood. We're not going to tell you what dish or how much seafood, but yes, seafood. The only thing we know about seafood is that there was some and it was very pricey. In the show notes, I included a great example of a bill that has some explanations on it. So check out there if you want to actually see an example of all this. The main point here is that how health systems get away in large part with charging a whole lot for specialty pharmacy drugs is that their bills roll up charges into these very opaque codes that include lots and lots of stuff that is not broken out. When I interviewed Marshall Allen and we talked about his book, Never Pay the First Bill, he said step one in getting an accurate and fair bill is to ask for the line item charges. And now that is totally making sense to me and also why this is so vital. Just be aware. If you ask for these breakouts, you will likely get a huge box of hard copies. Link in the show notes to a photo of a literally three-foot pile of printouts that one patient, turned artist, exhibited at an art show recently that I saw. If you don't have the stamina to sort through all of those pages and pages and pages, you could be subject to 6x or more in markups or billing errors, which are all too common and all too expensive. I mean, hospital charges are a huge chunk of any employer's healthcare spend after all, over half of it in some cases. These are not small potatoes that we're talking about. These are bills that bankrupt patients and make premiums go so high that patients cannot afford to get care. Today on the show, as mentioned earlier, we have two guests, Eric Davis and Autumn Yangchu, both from USI Managed Care Consulting and both having spent decades deep in the inner workings of the healthcare industry. And the topic of today's show required that depth of knowledge for sure. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Eric Davis and Autumn Young-Chu. Welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you for having us, Stacey. Thanks, Stacey. What I'm really excited to dig into, how some health systems and others can manage to get paid six times the price of a specialty pharmacy product, for example, instead of this whole ASP plus six or whatever it's supposed to be. First of all, let's just say in the inpatient space, If I am a hospital, if I'm a health system and I want to get paid as much as possible for a specialty pharmacy product administration in an inpatient setting, how do I go about it? Like, what's my, in air quotes, playbook here? 
Well, hospitals are required to report everything that happens in the hospital. But, you know, there's a lot of gaming that happens there because there's not a lot of transparency in how they report the services and the resources that are actually being used while in the hospital. So really generally upcoding using the wrong code, especially with these specialty pharmacy drugs, when they first come into the market, they don't have an actual code that may be assigned to them. And so the facility may use a generic code, like a J9999 code, for example, that they use for drugs. After about two to three years, that code technically is supposed to expire for the drug. When a new specialty pharmacy product comes on the market, it takes a while for the J code to get assigned? Yes. It's, it's a HCPCS code. The ones that are spe- specific for drugs usually start with J, and those are the injectable drugs. Usually the really high cost ones come in the J codes. And that's what you would expect to see on a claim form. But it takes the J code a while to get assigned. So effectively what you're saying is that the facility may in an in a, I don't know, maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe somebody doesn't know what the J code is or that has been assigned. So they just kind of bill to a general, this is a random specialty pharmacy product code that... Right, like a miscellaneous code, basically. It's just a miscellaneous code that just says a cancer drug or a chemo drug, you know, or it'll it'll literally say miscellaneous injectable, something to that effect. It's similar to like oxygen, for example, if you're an inpatient in the hospital. The way those services get billed is every single time a nurse or a med- medical assistant comes in there and pr- does something for you, they go and they put it into the system. You see that as an inpatient member. When you're in the hospital, you'll see somebody come in and they go and they type something on the computer. They're tracking what's actually happening. If they're not tracking it appropriately, it goes on your bill and your payer is more than likely not doing any form of edits before they pay that bill. And so it's really not uncommon to be overbilled and overcharged for things that you actually didn't receive. I've seen claims where oxygen is billed at more than 24 hours per day. How is that even possible? Okay. So in sum, there's that J999 MISC drug code that a nurse or doctor, someone logs was used for a patient in the hospital. And lots goes on in the hospital. So maybe it was double entered or whatever, similarly to your oxygen example. But in the case of a specialty pharmacy drug, the overcharge amount isn't going to be peanuts because these drugs are really expensive. I'm also going to infer here that this MISC code is what gets put on the bill, but someone somewhere is logging what the actual drug was used there. But that math is happening in a black box. So what goes on the bill is just like MISC drug with some number and some zeros after it. The MISC number, therefore, is really not transparent. So unless you ask for the details, all you know is that something involving some specialty pharmacy drug happened. And they'll argue and say, well, it doesn't ma- it doesn't impact rate but or it doesn't impact payment, but actually it does. Oftentimes in the commercial market, contracts are based on a percentage of billed charges. And even on an inpatient basis, inpatient claims are usually billed or paid on a percentage of billed or under a DRG methodology, which is a bundled payment. But for these new drugs, you're allowed an additional payment on top of what you would normally get. So you're basically paying a percentage of billed charges on these drugs. If the hospital marks it up by 600%, you're paying 65% off of 600% of the cost of the actual drug. And that's what's really happening. That's what really happens with a lot of these drugs. Summarizing there, hospitals will sometimes say that whatever they choose to bill for the J999 or whatever is irrelevant because like Medicare Part B says that the hospital can only charge ASP plus 6%. So whatever the hospital puts on the bill, it doesn't really matter because the payer will only pay ASP plus 6%. Except that's not true with commercial payers. Commercial payers will pay a discount off of whatever amount was billed. So if the hospital marks up the drug 6X or sends a bill for 600% or whatever, the cost of the drug, 
then the payer will get their 65% off billed charges or whatever, but it's 65% off of 600%, which is still a giant markup. I'm also hearing you say that a hospital might say furthermore that their billed charges don't matter because sometimes payers pay based on DRG rates. DRGs are diagnosis-related groups. And the idea is that if a patient comes in the hospital with heart failure, for example, that there's one set rate that the hospital will get paid regardless of what happens during that visit or how many days the patient stays, one flat rate. But many of these specialty pharmacy drugs, if they get used, are not part of that flat rate. They're above and beyond. So again, your point is that hospitals might say, oh, well, you know, we're putting these charges on the bill, but no one pays them anyway. That is false any number of times. Absolutely. And if there's another code that's available, a more descriptive code or the code that's assigned to that drug, it's it would it's fraud if for the hospital to bill that way. But if your payer is not double checking it, how do you know that fraud's happening? And if the payer doesn't have the detail to va- validate what that drug actually is, then are they really checking? And how do you check if you have this general code or miscellaneous code being used and in one bill that miscellaneous code has 50 units that cost you $20,000. And the next time you have that same code being used and it's seven units that cost you $20,000. So a hospital may use the J999 code. And when they do, it's just like another layer of double checking that has to go on if you're trying to audit this. Because unless you get that backend detail, you have no idea even what drug was used that you're being charged for. When you're billing on a J code basis, If you're using a miscellaneous one, the only way you can identify what actual code was prescribed or or used in that sense in a hospital setting is to get the itemized billing statement, which doesn't always come with the claim. Actually, most of the time it doesn't. And you have to do a special request to the hospital to get that information. And most times in the 20 plus years that I've been doing this, I've never gotten an electronic, I've never gotten an itemized billing statement in electronic form. It's always been on hard copy paper. I've once I've gotten two boxes full of single sheet papers for one inpatient stay. And that's how hard it is to actually dig through to see what you're what you're paying for. And it's always been by request. It's never given to you. So the hospital could use J code 999 and tuck in whatever actual drugs under that number. Or I understand there's other ways that a hospital might roll up lots of charges under one code. And then it's kind of like same rules apply, but maybe at a grander scale. Like I understand that hospital bills also include revenue codes, which are like the titles of a book chapter or something. And then the bill doesn't get into the actual text. It's like, here's the book chapter and it's this huge sum. So if that's the case, you're not even getting the J code. You're getting like one level above that. Yeah, revenue code 636, which stands for drugs. Okay, so basically it'll just say revenue code 636, $428,000. Like it'll just be one number. And then you right. go Right, and sometimes it's one unit. And you're like, what What did I buy that was $528,000? And then you ask for the itemized bill. And that's where the J code really should show up. But that's going to come in two boxes of paper that get shipped to you. Right. So it could be on page four or it could be on page 4,000. You just never know. You'd literally have to dig through every single line item to be able to see that. I posted on LinkedIn recently. I was at the Whitney Biennial. The Whitney Biennial is is probably one of the biggest art exhibits in the country. And one of the art pieces was a probably three foot tall stack of hospital bills that this woman who was the artist had received over the course of a strikingly short period of time. So the two boxes, I can picture that because I just saw one. (laughs) So if we're talking about this on an outpatient basis, 
So we just talked about the inpatient basis, which it just sounds like is pretty much a game of if you're trying to maximize how much you're charging for these specialty drugs, it's it's a pretty, in a way, in air quotes, simple game. You just don't use, you know, you use these kind of roll up codes and then nobody knows necessarily what happens. And unless you have somebody such as yourselves who's really digging in, it's, it's completely obfuscated what actually is going on. Therefore, it's very difficult to audit. Therefore, it's relatively, in air quotes, easy to get paid six times the amount of a specialty product if I really am hell-bent to do so. Now let's talk about outpatient settings. In an outpatient setting, if I am a health system or a hospital, how do I make sure I'm making the most money possible? What's my game? It's real similar. The same miscellaneous J code can be in the outpatient setting. So you could go in for a, a chemo drug just when you're seeing an oncologist and pay let's say $15,000 for seven units of that drug. And the next week you have to go in and see that same oncologist because you have a lung infection caused by that cancer. And they use that same code and it costs 56 units for $5,000. I mean, this is literally from data that we've received on a client. So you tell me how you audit that. Really, it comes down to contracts and how your contracts are written and how the claim is actually billed. Speaking to the unit play, like Eric is was talking about, if you you may have a contract that pays, you know, that reimburses a drug per vial, per every vial that you use is one unit. In some cases, you may pay a drug where every unit is considered one milligram. So it really comes down to whether the biller is actually coding correctly. If you're paying a vial, you're paying per vial, but you're tracking milligrams, you're potentially paying for 40 vials instead of really 40 milligrams. It it just, it gets really complicated because it depends on how the fee schedules are built and your contracts are written. And you'll see things where when you request the detailed billing that Autumn was speaking to earlier, where they break down the units. So you could be seeing that seven units and one of the units could be 100 milligrams. The next of the seven units could be 200 milligrams. It's all over the board. There's literally no definition until you get down to that vial level in some cases. So it sounds like if I'm an if it's an outpatient basis, that there again is this miscellaneous chemo drug J code. So we've got this yes. miscellaneous J code drug, but then in, what is also miscellaneous is what the billing unit is. Is it vials? Is it milliliters? Right. Is it like what is it? So if right. I am double whammy. Yeah. So if I'm a hospital system and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna maximize my billing for these infused <laughs> products, then my strategy would be just use that miscellaneous J code, pick a unit, right? That seems to maximize revenue if this is what I'm all about, right? And basically I'm I'm completely obfuscating what happened. Right. I can give an example of that. So for example, there's a drug, Danielza. It's a chemo drug. It's used for a very specific type of cancer in pediatrics and adults, right? Pediatrics greater than one in adults. This drug is available as an injection at 40 milligrams in a single vial dose. So that's how the drug actually comes, 40 milligrams in a single vial dose. But the recommended dosage may not actually be 40 milligrams. It could be more, it could be less. It really depends on the patient, right? So say the patient is receiving 30 milligrams of the 40 milligram vial. So their dosage is only 30 milligrams. But the hospital then bills for the entire vial. Well, they're basically overbilling for 10 milligrams. What if the payment policy reimburses one unit as one milligram and one unit equals $500? If you're overcharging 10 milligrams per day, you're 
essentially paying $5,000 per day in drugs that you didn't receive. That's sort of the play there with the units. It's And it may not be intentional. It may just be that the, the coder didn't know that they were supposed to bill by milligram because the last drug that they billed was supposed to be billed by vial. It, it, policies, clinical payment policies are not always in line with coding policies. And coders are not claims payers and claims payers are not coders. There's a severe disconnect. I'd like to believe that the hospitals aren't doing it on purpose, but sometimes it's hard to believe that they're not. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say that. Like, this sounds, based on what the two of you are saying, this seems pretty pervasive. Like, the impression that I'm getting is that this is more, that every single bill that you get and that you audit, there's something like this that's going on. Yes, it's not just drugs. It's not just drugs. It's anything. Yeah. It's everything. Is this kind of a a question of there's no business case for the hospital to correct this? So like they just have kind of, as you just said, Autumn, I think very succinctly, there's coders uh, aren't experts in claims and claims experts aren't experts in coding. So is this just kind of a disconnect that's been going on for time immemorial and nobody has any business case to fix it? Absolutely. Since forever. I mean, truly, when I was a claims manager, you had your claims payers and then the claims payers weren't the billers. The billers worked for the providers. And so we would get these claims that came from the billers, from the providers. And we couldn't, it was unethical for us to tell the provider how to bill in order to get paid. That's unethical practices. And so we would have to accept the claim as billed. The claims payer pays it. The claims payers didn't understand anything about the contracts or how the contracts were even developed. They're using auto adjudication or they're using fee schedules that are already billed. Well, I've audited systems before where a fee schedule was rolling DRGs up to the second digit. And it, that may not be bit that big of a deal in simple math, but when you're talking the law of large numbers, that could be significant. And so there are these silos within healthcare and none of them actually talk to each other. And none of them really understand the whole life cycle of how this stuff actually happens and how it hits the bottom line. It's completely foreign and it's it's almost like they built it that way on purpose. Obviously, there was just a study that came out, which we'll link to in the show notes, that showed that if somebody gets these specialty meds infused or injected in a hospital, I think it was 4X to 6X over the cost of the of the drug. So this is certainly not anecdotal, I think, what, right. what we're saying here. And I think it pretty much just goes back to nobody is insisting. I'm obviously making an assumption here, just drawing a conclusion. If the ultimate purchasers, if nobody's auditing anything that's going on here, then why would I spend the time and effort to obviously fix what is a embedded, institutionalized kind of goings on, right? Like it would take a lot of work to re-engineer this whole claims versus coding, getting everybody working together to do this accurately. Like that's a whole thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if you're if you're a typical purchaser of healthcare, where would you know where to start? Autumn and I have spent our 30-year career educating ourselves into how to be able to look at these and we still struggle through hard copy multiple page billings. If somebody is just generally looking at a bill, what would be the trigger for them to even know whether or not there's something they need to go look at? Absolutely. So the hospital, say, for example, the hospital, they bill all the services they're required to, right? But even though they're required to bill all those services and track all those services, they're not necessarily required to submit all of those depending on the payer. 
The payer gets a paper claim form that doesn't even have the documentation necessarily behind it to back it. But because of contracts, the payer now pays the claim because there are no technical coding errors on it, even though there may be clinical coding errors on it because they're using wrong codes or they're upcoding or, or whatnot. And that claim then comes through, the payer only sees the claim. And then the employer that's funding the bulk of that claim just gets an invoice. Sometimes they don't even get an invoice. They just get a number and say, hey, we're drawing this because this is how much we're paying. And it's in bulk and it's multiple claims. You as the patient, what do you get? You get an EOB that basically says you had an inpatient stay. That's all it says. It really doesn't say a lot. And before, I'd say, I used to get EOBs where they would provide these codes that you can go Google Right. But now if you look at your EOB, especially if you get one from like the Bukas or something, you don't even get the codes anymore. You just get a description. It's interesting that in the era of transparency and the transparency regs, which require hospitals and very soon payers to be showing on a code by code basis what the negotiated rates are, that actually the bills themselves have been getting less transparent at the same time. Yeah, there's a misconception too, a little bit, because there are these rules out there, but there are also big loopholes out there. Hospitals are required to, to publish their charge masters, but not their full charge masters, actually, and only certain codes. And there's no actual watchdog that regulates that. They post their charge masters once a year, but a hospital can change their charge masters at any point in time. So they can post it and then up and then change their charges right after they've posted it. And even revealing some of the negotiated prices, they're supposed to do that, but they don't always. And then there are these, especially specialty drugs that we're talking about. These new drugs come into the market and it's considered even by Medicare as carrier priced because there's not enough history on it to price it. So you're at the mercy of the manufacturer. Uh, okay, so what you mean by that? For Medicare Part B, the specialty drugs are supposed to be billed at ASP average sale price plus 6%. But if the drug hasn't been on the market very long, there is no average sale price. So the default then is kind of like whatever the carrier decides, the manufacturer decided the price was. Or they do have it and then it's considered because there's not in, enough information for Medicare to determine a price, it's considered carrier priced. And at that point, if it's carrier priced, then it's based on whatever your carrier contract is with that payer. Okay, so that's one way to do it before there's an ASP, I guess. Are there other ways that if the drug's been out on the market for a while that I can maximize billing for a Medicare patient? Can I get paid more than ASP plus 6%? Yes and no, because ASP plus 6% is Medicare, but it's specific Medicare fee-for-service. If you're traditional fee-for-service Medicare, then yeah, that's what the hospital is going to get for their rate. But again, ASP, it's an average sales price. If the manufacturer increases their sales one month or one quarter, that, that ASP rate's going to change. And the same thing for the 6% admin. That 6% admin is based on all the administrative costs that the provider, the facility, and all these other resources that you utilized, it's based off of that 6%. And if they increase their cost, then that 6% also goes up. It really comes down to contracting. So the dollar amount that adds up to ASP plus 6% can fluctuate way more than I may have understood. But this ASP plus 6% only applies to traditional FFS Medicare Part B. This has nothing to do with Medicare Advantage members. And by the way, as we all just saw, Medicare Advantage members are now over half, I think, of all Medicare enrollees. So if you're a Medicare under a Medicare Advantage plan, you may have different contracts. So a question for you. So for a Medicare Part B patient then, let's just say traditional FFS, Medicare Part B, it sounds like these health systems and hospitals can manage actually to use the correct <laughs> J-code 
that's specific to that particular drug in the case of these Medicare Part B patients, whereas the commercial patients, they're using that miscellaneous specialty pharmacy code. It's actually similar in both settings. So you will see miscellaneous codes used in the Medicare setting too, if there's no defined code to it. So even in the Medicare Part B arena, again, if CMS isn't auditing this, they could effectively play the same in air quotes game, right? Where they're not. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because those hit pick codes that Autumn defined earlier those were established years ago by CMS and the American Medical Association. So the, the intent of them was to be used as general accounting codes across all lines of business. It's actually fraud for the hospital to be using codes that they shouldn't be using unless it's within their contract to use those codes. I've seen contracts that have special programs where they tell you to use certain codes to bill certain services. And even within Medicare and commercial, I mean, Medicare has very specific codes that are specific that are just for Medicare services. So, you know, a venue puncture, for example, on the commercial side would be a 36415 CPT code. But for the longest time, Medicare uses it. And for tracking purposes, they use the G0001. It's basically the same service, but one is a Medicare-specific code. When you look at Medicaid, Medicaid has some, they have a few handful of codes that are, are state-specific as well. And so it gets, it, it does get a little convoluted. So it could be, it, but technically is fraud. It sounds like if they do that consistently enough, but it also could Absolutely. be an accident. It's abuse and it, it could be abuse and fraud. If they're doing it intentionally, then it's fraud. If they're doing it and they're, they're not quite, you know, if it's, if, if it becomes a pattern, then it's abuse. You also have to keep in mind that when we think Medicare payments, we just have a tendency to assume as human beings, right? That Medicare has a rate for everything and Medicare doesn't. And so when these specialty drugs come out, there's not a guaranteed Medicare rate for it. And this you know, is prior it, to the J-code being created. like Right. Or even after, even after the J-code is created, there are still certain drugs that Medicare may not have a pricing for because maybe it's not a code that Medicare would cover. Or maybe it's, you know, if Medicare doesn't cover it, they don't generally have a price for it. Their price is zero. Or the hospital hasn't changed their billing practices. All right. So we talked about a lot of issues here and how basically the sum of everything that we talked about equals commercial carriers and maybe even Medicare, certainly Medicare Advantage, which are obviously run by private payers paying what could be 6x what people think they're paying for some of these injections and infusions. Obviously, every self-respecting market distortion deserves another. And everything that we just talked about right now is one reason why the practice of bagging, as they say, specialty pharmacy bagging has become such a thing. Listen to the show with Keith Hartman, episode 369 last week for more on that. If someone is interested in learning more about the work that you're doing over at USI Managed Care Consulting, where would you direct them for more information? We've provided our LinkedIn information, both Autumn and I have, and you can reach me at eric.davis at usi.com or autumn.yongchu, Y-O-N-G-C-H-U at usi.com. Eric Davis and Autumn Youngchu, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. 
Thanks so much for listening.